Hello and welcome to Theology Matters. This is Dr. John Clark. And today we want to continue with our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And last session we began to look at the Beatitudes. Uh, But before we jump back into Matthew 5, verse 5, we left off in verse 4. And um, I wanted to give a couple of really quick uh, contextual comments as we build up. Remember, uh, this kingdom that Jesus is speaking about, the audience to whom Jesus is speaking is a Jewish audience. And uh, he is making a legitimate offer of the Old Testament kingdom that they had studied about and read about their entire lives. The king was here, and that's the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is that the king is here. He's ready to establish the kingdom. And yet we find through history and from the pages of scripture, especially in John 1, puts it very uh, very directly that they, his own, did not receive him. They rejected their king. But as we get to the Sermon on the Mount, that rejection had not taken place in full yet. And he is describing um, the values of the kingdom as we come to the Beatitudes. And these are values that his audience should have recognized because they were either directly mentioned in the Old Testament or indirectly mentioned. And so as he's describing the values of the kingdom from top down, uh, the listeners should have been in saying, oh, yeah, that's the same kingdom that we've been studying about in the Old Testament. That's the same kingdom that we've heard about all of our lives. And so we've looked at the first two Beatitudes, and, and today we want to continue in verse 5, where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so this verse references a principle which will be true during the millennial kingdom. And it's described by David in Psalm 37:11. Let's look at Psalm 37 verse 11. Which reads, "But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace." And so earlier in Psalm 37 and verse 9, David described those who inherit the earth as those who wait on the Lord, making this somewhat synonymous or at least related to meekness. And when we look at the word meek uh, in the original languages, Hebrew, it's the the Hebrew word anah, and Greek, it's praus. Um, It's defined as humbleness, unpretentiousness, a quality of sincere and straightforward behavior that suggests a lack of arrogance and pride. The Greek word emphasizes the mildness and gentleness of a person. And the other thing we've got to remember is anytime we're talking about the earth, the, these promises of inheriting the earth, our mind automatically ought to go back to the Abrahamic covenant because a better translation of earth is land. And so this beatitude is simply a restatement of God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would inherit a stipulated portion of of earth when the promised kingdom arrives. And we see that land promise first given in in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 in the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, Again, when when we consider the idea of meekness and the meek inheriting the earth, no kingdom that's ever existed on earth has consistently valued this trait. This is what's going to make the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus describes it here, so unique. And again, he's 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 making these statements to a Jewish audience that had they received their king, would have been the generation that walked into this kingdom. So this is the potential recipients of the kingdom he's speaking to here based on their response to the king. 
Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And this verse references a principle which will be true during the kingdom age. Um, and it's described in Psalm 107.9. Um, by the way, not to jump out of our interpretation, but if I can take a quick side in application, this principle is true in every age. This is a pursuit of righteousness that's that's rewarded or that has high value in the sight of God. But look at Psalm 107.9 just to see again that this is uh, referenced in the Old Testament, that this is something that Jesus's audience as they're hearing him speak, should have their the bell should have been going off in their head. And so um, Psalm 107.9 says this, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And so there's a, uh, you know, a concept here that's even recorded in Hebrews 11.6 that God uh, has always been a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and desire to live acceptably before him. And um, this is one of those uh, concepts that if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you're you're looking for righteousness outside of yourself. And that's exactly where God wants us to be. Not only as an unbeliever, recognizing that we don't have a righteousness equal to his in order to enter heaven, um, but also as a believer, as we, as we make application to the church age, where we recognize that even in our best efforts, we can never live in such a way to please God. In fact, we see a man in Romans 7 in the Apostle Paul who had all of the right desires and, and put forth quite a bit of effort uh, to live a righteous life. And yet he found failure in that because he was not relying upon, upon God's method of making him righteous in daily practice. And so very important to understand that God has got not only a solution to sin's penalty, but God has also provided a solution to sin's power. And so that transdispensational would apply here in the church age, where if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we will be filled, that God will meet uh, that hunger. And so very, very true. And this is going to be a a uh, principle uh, or a trait that's going to be highly valued during the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's going to be highly valued from the top down across all of society. Verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And again, this verse references a principle which will be true in the kingdom. It's described uh, in the Old Testament in Psalm 1825, uh, Psalm 1825, which reads this. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. And so since mercy is a valued character trait in the kingdom, one's mercy to others will be extended back to them. This will be as close to a guaranteed thing in the kingdom as Jesus and his administration promote, value, and enforce merciful treatment of one another. And, you know, this could not be said about any other kingdom that has ever existed before. Again, this is going to be unique of the kingdom that Jesus is describing here for his audience. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And again, this verse references a principle which will be true in the kingdom. And um, this too is also described in the Old Testament or referenced in Psalm uh, 24, verses 3 through 4. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. 
which reads this. Who may ascend into, into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. And so purity of heart will be required to see God or better said, uh, we might say to be in fellowship with him. And so thus there's a correspondence in fellowship between the king and those of his subjects who share his character. And this too would be a unique feature of the kingdom. As even Israelites who were in fellowship with the Lord in the Old Testament were separated still from him by the veil in the holy place. They needed a mediator. They needed a high priest, if you remember, to represent them to God. But in the kingdom, because of the death of the testator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, they will have unfettered access to God when they're in fellowship with him, i.e. when they're pure in heart. There's no other mediator needed. There's no uh, separation that still exists. And we, we read about that in the book of Hebrews, where as the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins during the Jewish sacrificial system, that the blood of Jesus Christ did exactly that. It took away sins. It removed the veil and, and allows full access to God. Now, as we leave verse eight, we start getting into verse nine through 12. There's some, some interesting thoughts here uh, that are introduced regarding the kingdom reign of Christ on earth. And, and honestly, it, it raises some questions. Let's, let's read a couple of verses here. Let's read through and I'll, I'll kind of bring up the, the questions as we go. But blessed are the peacemakers, verse nine says, for they shall be called the sons of God. Question, why would you need peacemakers during the millennial kingdom reign? Who would be fighting? Who would be in conflict? Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, how would persecution for righteousness sake happen during the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ? Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Again, another question, who would revile and persecute those living righteously during this time? When, when these are the values of the kingdom, who, who's going to be reviling this? Who's going to be persecuting the people who are, who are attempting to live um, by what's of value in the kingdom? So uh, all good questions. And um, let's, let's start kind of trying to tackle those one by one. Let's look at verse nine again, because the king's kingdom uh, in the Old Testament was described by increasing peace. And we know from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which, which goes on a lot of our Christmas cards, that Jesus is described as the prince of peace. And so it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So what's fascinating uh, about this verse is it describes human peacemakers during the millennial kingdom age. And it says that if you're a peacemaker, uh, or the humans that are that are alive and subjects in the kingdom, if they are peacemakers uh, during the millennial kingdom age, they'll be happy or blessed. And what it implies is that if you have if you have peacemakers, you must have those who are disturbing the peace. <laughs> so uh, to have a peacemaker means you need a peacemaker. Somebody's disturbing the peace. So who are they? Well, most likely, uh, although possibly not exclusively. It is the human Gentiles, saved or unsaved, who are dominated or controlled by the sin nature. Remember that every human being that 
enters the millennial kingdom uh, is saved. They've put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's how they gained entrance following the tribulation period. But the children that they have, the children that they give birth to, each one of those human beings have to make a decision themselves, whether or not they're going to put their faith in Jesus Christ and what he had accomplished for them. So there's going to be unsaved uh, Gentiles in the kingdom. There's going to be carnal uh, saved Gentiles in the kingdom. And I think there might even be some carnal Jewish believers in the kingdom as well. But just uh, focusing on the Gentiles here, that that is possibly uh, the ones who are causing the trouble. Uh, again, <clears throat> saved human beings, although saved, still have a sin nature when they enter the kingdom after the tribulation period. And, and they're going to give, they're going to be given in marriage. They're going to give birth to normal human beings who are born in sin with sin, sin natures, and they can still be dominated from time to time by sin. And we know the works of the flesh are very clear in Galatians 5. And so all of those will still be present and hence the need for peacemakers. Now in verse 10, uh, he goes on to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, King Jesus is righteous. His administration comprised of glorified saints are righteous. His judgment is righteous. And many of his subjects will be living in practical righteousness via means of the Holy Spirit. However, what we see here is there will be some who still persecute those humans that live righteously. Again, who would be persecuting them? Again, probably the same people needing a peacemaker from the above verse. These are carnal believers, Jew or Gentile, most likely Gentile, or unsaved people who are dominated or controlled by the sin nature. And who would be persecuted? Well, anybody uh, saved Jew and Gentile are walking in dependence upon the Lord and are in fellowship with him. Even believers in our day, I mean, we think about this, get upset with and are jealous of those believers that we view as goody two-shoes or those who act more spiritual than us. Because when we're carnal, we typically will call these people legalists and we'll typically get upset with them and persecute them uh, in one way or another, even if it's just giving them the silent treatment or speaking poorly about them behind their backs. And so these kind of things will happen. The difference is now the values of the kingdom are against this. And so there's going to be swift and, and quick justice for this type of treatment. And so we'll pick up there in verse 11 next time. 